Hey guys, Tyler here. Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to apologize again for getting this episode out so late. What happened was that we did record a version of this episode a couple weeks ago, but then due to technical issues, Kit lost their audio, so we had to go back and re-record it. And personally, I think this version of the episode turned out a bit better in my opinion. But to make it up to you guys, we have a very special announcement at the end of this week's episode where we finally reveal the topic of our very first theme month coming in September. So you don't want to miss this episode. And now on with the podcast. Channel KRT with special guest star Matt Levisar. All right, welcome back to Channel KRT, the podcast where we finally talk about Muppets on our own podcast, where we've talked about them on every single podcast but ours. We've talked about them on Escape from Vault Disney, we've talked about them on E-Ticket Gazette, and Tyler was almost on an episode of Podcast Without a Cool Acronym that was about Muppet Babies, right? I was, and then I decided I didn't want to step on any toes, because this was around the time we recorded the Muppet most wanted episode but i was on that episode yeah you were yeah in case you're wondering yes i'm the guy who did the voice for bunts and honeydew doing profion in the most recent podcast united yes that was amazing (laughs) all right i'm wait guys i gotta get that name name, gotta gotta get get that that name name, gotta get get that that name gotta get that okay it's back it's kate quinn Hi ho, Tyler the Green here. My name is Randy Martin, and I am both a man and a Muppet. (laughs) I live a painful existence, please kill me. And my name is Matt Lavasser, and I am a very manly Muppet. Hell yeah, but what if they weren't a man or a Muppet? (laughs) Well then wouldn't you just be God? You're right. God is a Muppet. Yeah, God is not a Muppet or a man, so... (laughs) (laughs) All right, so today we're taking a look at not just a really great movie, one of the best things we've ever covered on the podcast, Muppet Classic Theater. Damn straight. Let, Let me ask you one thing. How often do you ever hear the phrase... This straight-to-VHS kids movie is one of the greatest things we've ever seen. Rarely, if ever. I mean, it's the Muppets, so it's like, that's an instant already win, but... And you gotta remember, too, this was after Jim Henson passed away, so this was a mere three years after that happened, and the Muppets are still hitting their stride at this point. I find it kind of hilarious that at the Walt Disney Company... After their guy died, they kind of just went into a spiral of just mediocre shit after mediocre shit because they were trying so hard to be like, Ah, what would Walt do? We're panicking! (laughs) Then, in the Jim Henson Company, when their guy died, they just knew the fucking assignment right away. Meanwhile, we'd probably have a more coherent Disney takeover of the Muppets if Eisner hadn't kept pestering Brian Henson about Sesame Street. I just realized, I gotta wonder if the reason the Henson Company did so well even after their guy died was because, you know, the puppeteers and producers and everything were more one-on-one and close to Jim 
than most of the people running the Walt Disney Corporation at the time of Walt's death were close to Walt. I mean, look at all the union strikes. I mean, it used to be that way at the Disney Studios, but then after the animators strike, Walt turns into the fucking Karen manager. But on the plus side, Jim Henson never named names. Ah, you damn straight. Nor did he bust unions. <laughs> he was a socialist as hell. Like, he literally created Fraggle Rock, so then this way to end the Soviet War, so... You know what? I am sure that Jim Henson is teabagging Walt Disney wherever they are right now. Yes! <laughs> All right, so Matt, do you want to get into your history with this special? Uh, no thanks, I'm not hungry. <laughs> <laughs> so, I technically kind of sort of went into my history with the Muppets on the podcast without going acronym, so I'll just do a cheat sheet version. I specifically asked to talk about Muppet Classic Theater on this podcast with these wonderful people. Aww. Because this and Fraggle Rock were my two biggest introductions to the Muppets. Yeah, I mean, I watched Praggle Rock in preschool, and I had Muppet Classic Theater at home, and I must have watched the tape dozens of times. I mean, I even remember watching one of the old Winnie the Pooh tapes, one of the Storybook Classics tapes, and that had a promo for Muppet Classic Theater on it. Matt, I think you were kind of a rarity of a person, because, you know, you said that's your first exposure to the Muppets. Take a wild guess as to what 90% of Earth's population first exposure might be. Sesame Street. Sesame Street. Yes. <laughs> Fucking Sesame Street. <laughs> I forgot Sesame Street. I mean, it's like, you know, but then again, it's so ubiquitous, it's, you kind of forget it's there because everyone and their mother first had their mother exposure to that. So it was that, Fraggle Rock, and Muppet Classic Theater. I'm pretty sure that in my teenage years when I was in the, yeah, I'm too cool for Muppets phase of my life, I'm 99% sure it was just me projecting the fact that I associated the Muppets most with Sesame Street at that point. Yeah, that's fair. So I'm wondering also, because of Sesame Street's just impact, I wonder if anyone ever really truly outgrows it. I mean, first of all, we have the stereotype of like, you know, Cookie Monster Snapback and like Cookie Monster our Oscar the Grouch Pajama Pants Girl, <laughs> which is very much not child. And then, you know, even at places like Spencer's, I see like Sesame Street wallets. There was a whole bunch of like Sesame Street stuff at Hot Topic even in the early 2000s, it just sticks with you for the rest of your life. And that's probably why you kind of forget that it's a Muppets property, because it's just, like, so regular to you. Yeah, and then same with the Muppets in general, because, you know, I actually kind of was the opposite of Tyler. Like, as a kid, I was kind of eh on Sesame Street and Muppets. But then when I was 10 and I watched Muppets Christmas Carol and Follow That Bird for the first time, I got hooked. And throughout my teenage years, I began to just adore the Muppets. Because both Muppets 2011 and Muppets 2014 came out when I was in high school, and I loved them both. And then I remember watching the Muppet show on a now deleted site that may or may not have been kind of full of viruses. Ugh, mega upload, cough. Uh. Like I said, I kind of went into my history on both our Muppet Vision episode over on E-Ticket Gazette as well as on the great Muppet Caper and Muppets Most Wanted episodes of Escape from Vault Disney. Which, by the way, go listen to those. 
Hell yes. After you listen to this, of course, but... <laughs> so as for this special, I actually only watched it for the first time about a couple of years ago, because I remember that it was one where I was kind of like, huh, the Muppets did a bunch of fairy tales? That's kind of cool. I remember because there was a VHS promo for it on the Valentine's Day episode of Winnie the Pooh, and now it's out of print, so it's like, now we can only get it on VHS. So thank God for YouTube. Oh yeah, that's another thing too. This was distributed by... Buena Vista video, so this can be on Disney Plus if they want it to. Most importantly, if we campaign for it. I'm just saying, hashtag Muppets Classic Theater on Disney Plus. I'm telling you, we Muppet stands made Disney our bitch. We have. Yes. All we have to do is speak up and say, hey, why isn't this Muppets thing on Disney Plus? And Disney Plus will literally be like, oh, right, right, right sorry, um, uh, here, here you guys go. Uh, here's Muppets Take Manhattan, here's the Muppet Show. We're sorry, just just let us know if there's uh, anything else we forgot. Meanwhile, Marvel fans are like, hey, uh, can we have Far From Home on Disney Plus? No! <laughs> <laughs> if only we could get that type of thing into like, theme parks. Like, um, can we expand Muppets Courtyard into its own land? Oh, yes. What could have been? I would say that whoever's running Disney Plus is probably more of a Muppet stand than whoever's running the parks. We just gotta go up to Bob Chapek with a big pile of money and say, Muppet Land! It's an IP! (laughs) It's an IP that I can guarantee we can make more profitable than Marvel and Pixar! And Star Wars. (laughs) It's got a very devout fan base. Hey, they're saying we should make a Muppet Land. I got it! Let's buy Sesame Place! I mean, I guess it's better than SeaWorld. Eisner is vindicated. I don't know if I said this before, but the reason that we did not get Muppet Land, basically, is because the Disney company was too busy, you know, harassing Jim for Sesame Street to end up truly buying it. It was just like, hey, Jim, can I get Sesame Street? No. Can I get Sesame Street? No. Can I get Sesame Street? No. Can I get dies? Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Muppet Classic Theater is a direct-to-video musical film featuring the Muppets. It was the first direct-to-video feature film in the Muppets franchise, and the only one Kermit Swamp Years don't interact. (laughs) Fuck Kermit Swamp Years. All my homies hate Kermit Swamp Years. What is Kermit Swamp Years? That that doesn't exist. I don't know what you guys are talking about. (laughs) Valid. Don't leave me! I have abandonment issues! See ya. I, I mean, yeah, it's valid because Kermit's Swamp Years doesn't exist. Everyone knows he was born on a swamp near Walt Disney World. This is canon. Exactly. <laughs> By the way, release that special on Disney Plus too or we riot. So does that mean Kermit has been to Discovery Island? Has Kermit been accidentally, like, sucked into the water pipes of River Country? (laughs) (laughs) Kermit's gonna be in that one creepypasta where Mickey takes off his head. Do you think Kermit thought the world was ending when they first tested the wave machine in (laughs) Bay Lake in, like, the 70s? You know, a fascinating thing that we found on the poster is that, um, let me see if I can share my screen. Uh, Uh, Is is it the one with the Gonzo, Kermit, and Piggy dressed up like the Rumpelstiltskin characters? Oh, yeah, and then meanwhile, Rizzo's in a wizard's outfit which we never see him in in the show yeah which is weird but what a rip (laughs) release the wizard rizzo cut (laughs) rizzo word the wizard the rizzo of izzo (laughs) california (laughs) one of the interesting things about this special is that first of all there's no humans in it whatsoever like 
I guess unless you count, apparently there was one scene where a puppeteer's head accidentally showed, but not really. <laughs> that wasn't a head, that was just a moving rock. <laughs> They're alive. So there are actually uh, two writers for this special. One of them is Jim Lewis, who actually has quite a bit of writing history for a lot of Muppets projects. He was the writer of Muppets Now, Muppets Tonight, and he also had a writing credit on Kermit's Swamp Ears. <laughs> uh-huh. Also, no fucking escape. He had a role on Barney. Oh, God. Who was he on Barney? Oh, um, he was the writer on Barney, I meant to say. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> oh, and by the way, I just want to point out something about Jim Lewis. I was on one of those Muppet blogs reading it whenever I could about Muppet Classic Theater, and one particular blog had this quote from Mr. Lewis. My personal favorite among my own projects is Muppet Classic Theater, which I co-wrote with Bill Prady. It was done relatively soon after Jim's passing, and it was in many ways a regathering of the clan. It was fun. Plus, it's just silly with no great message. I'm fond of it and hope it sees the light of DVD someday. It really is. Yeah, that's a really sweet thing to say about it. And the other writer, as you may have heard, is Bill Prady, who has a complicated legacy in the Muppets fandom. Because on one hand, the guy is the sole writer of Muppet Vision 3D, and so he's responsible for... Yes, it's a glorious three-hour finale! You got a minute and a half! (gasps) And he was also responsible for Muppets ABC, but he's also responsible for a little show called Big Bang Theory. Uh, Thank you, Big Bang Theory, for making me prove that, yes... There is something worse than an ableist slur that someone can say to me when I have autism. Thank you, Big Bang Theory, for showing us that there are indeed worse TV nerds than Urkel. Oh, absolutely. In all seriousness, as complicated feelings I have about Bill Prady, I mean, as a writer, he seems like a decent person at the least. And I primarily blame Chuck Lorre for Big Bang Theory, but you get me. Lowest common denominator, thy name is Chuck Lorre. (laughs) (laughs) Credit where credit is due, he did a really good job on this special as well. He had a really good writing style that really played well into the Muppets. And one interesting thing about this special is that it feels like kind of one of the last bits of I don't know how to say this how Jim would have wrote a Muppet special because it has a lot of that same humor and it feels it's not that it doesn't have any pop culture references but it feels more timeless I don't know if it's the best Muppets movie ever made but I still really love it and it just because it's so hard to rank in general it's up there for what it's worth the Muppet movies in general are hard to rank it's just amazing that not a lot of people remember this special because I actually didn't even know it existed until our friend Marissa showed it to us, and god, I am so glad she did. Hell yeah! Another fun fact is that this is known as Muppet Fairy Tales in the United Kingdom, so they get the cool titles over in the United Kingdom. British people be like Muppet Fairy Tales. (laughs) American people be like Muppet Classic Theater. (laughs) (laughs) all right so there are six fairy tales within this special also i love how rizzo describes those fairy tale compilation tapes how he's like i don't know seems like a scam i mean you buy a new tape just to get old stories everybody's already heard okay but this aside is he wrong he must hate the live action disney remakes i mean rizzo has been getting the shaft from disney as of late (laughs) are they directly roasting barney They should be, and rightfully so. I mean, Sesame Street did it first, but... (laughs) I know Barney did their own fairy tale tape, Once Upon a Time, 
But that was released two years after Muppet Classic Theater came out. Yeah, and then that was like also one that did Rumpelstiltskin, and that was mediocre. No escape. <laughs> you, you thought The Simpsons were predicting all this shit? No, it was The Muppets. Ironically, The Simpsons did an episode of Treehouse of Horror with fairy tales parody, so. Muppets did it. Muppets did it. <laughs> And then Shrek. <laughs> yeah, that should be the next South Park episode. Muppets already did it. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So then Gonzo introduces the special, and then we get into our first story, The Three Little Pigs. Before that, we should mention that the framing device for this is that the Muppets are putting on a live show where they play off the six different fairy tales, as we mentioned, and the hosts are Gonzo and Rizzo. Yes. Two best Muppets. And you can tell this was clearly made after Muppet Christmas Carol because they were the narrators in that film. And so they figured, well, they're already narrating Muppet Christmas Carol while we have narrated this. They were a pretty big duo throughout the 90s as well. Like, not only for this and Muppet's Christmas Carol, but also Muppet Treasure Island and kind of in Muppets from Space, although that was Gonzo-centric in general, so. Uh, by the way, I think the reason why you don't see much of Rizzo anymore these days is because I guess it's hard to find someone who can perfectly emulate uh, Steve Whitmire's Rizzo voice. They actually did find somebody to replace Wembley on the Fraggle Rock reboot. It's going to be Frankie Cordero, so maybe they could try him. Yeah, and I think they got someone to do Baby Rizzo on on the new Muppet Baby CGI. Gonzorella writes. Gonzorella writes. Yes! Oh my god, Baby Rizzo on a dress! This is the cutest fucking shit i ever seen in my life. It was such a good episode. And yet the Chuds will still make a big deal about a boy in a dress. God for fucking bid. Yeah. It was, by the way, it was uh, Ben Diskin, who coincidentally also voiced Gonzo on the Muppet Babies. So he oh, voiced nice. Gonzo and Rizzo for Muppet Babies. At least it ain't Dave Coulier. Waka waka. <laughs> Don't you mean, uh, k- 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 <laughs> Dave Coulier for Human Fozzie. Uh, I don't know if I can handle two hours of Fozzie just doing a Popeye impression over and over. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, shout out to Muppets Twit when this episode drops. <laughs> All right, so do we want to get into the first story? Yes. yes. All yes. right. Let's. The first story is The Three Little Pigs. So it stars Piggy, and it's the first appearance of Andy and Randy Pig, her nephews. Although in this one, they say that she's her brothers, and even though there's a running gag where she's like, definitely not Ma's brothers. Fun fact, um, not only is my name Randy too... But my Chinese Zodiac is Year of the Pig. (gasps) It's all connected, man. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) I gotta say, it felt so weird to hear the name Randy come from someone who's not us. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You probably don't watch enough South Park then. (laughs) (laughs) I was joking the other day that Randy should call herself Randy Marshton. (laughs) No. But... (laughs) Sorry, I thought this was America. (laughs) (laughs) Randy is Lord confirmed. I am Lord. (laughs) Also, Andy and Randy have such big pip and pop energy. It threw me for a loop that they weren't actually performed by Tyler Bunch and Peter Linz. They're actually performed in this by Steve Whitmire and Brian Henson. And I just got to say, good God, they were annoying in this. So like the whole thing is that the dad pig... And the brother pigs are misogynistic assholes who are also really fucking stupid. Like, Piggy's constantly trying to prove that she can make this cool-ass house that'll actually keep out the wolf, and then they're just like, Oh, how cute! It's a picture of a house! And, like, she saves their ass in the end. There is no reason that Miss Piggy 
couldn't have let natural selection take its course with Andy and Randy. Especially considering that in most traditional versions of the Three Little Pigs, the one who builds the brick house is the lone survivor in the end. Yeah! <laughs> I mean, of course they couldn't show, like, actual Muppet carnage, but... <laughs> come on, you could have at least vored them. They could have made it like in the J.P. Morgan episode where she throws a bomb at Scooter and then he blows up. <laughs> <laughs> So here I am on my podcast, wishing for Vor. <laughs> oh, how the tables have turned. Yay. I mean, there's probably other fetish moments in this special. <laughs> I mean, Kermit does get turned into gold, so. Bah, why didn't Piggy get turned into gold? So then the wolf shows up, and then the story plays out how he blows down Andy and Randy's houses, and I just love how this wolf is designed and performed. I will yowl, and I will howl, and I will <laughs> soil my towel. Cow. Wait, that is great. Ew. And plus, uh, I love the voice of this wolf. I mean, he was played by Jerry Nelson. Yes. yes. God bless Jerry Nelson, yeah. man. So he's basically doing Uncle Deadly, but as a wolf. Fuck yes. Side note, I Mandela affected so hard the first time I watched this because I was like, wait a minute, wasn't this wolf purple and French? And then I realized, oh, that was the big bad wolf from Sesame Street. Because, yeah, <laughs> the one in there was performed by Martin P. Robinson, so. You know, Matt, you raise a good point with the Uncle Deadly comparison, which makes me wonder, if Gloria Estefan was in this video, who would she play? Um, she'd play a very good girl. Aww. Let her be a fairy. Yeah, she's so good. She's a fairy princess. <laughs> and she's gonna steal the whole show. So Andy and Randy run into their sister's house, which again, she should have just left them for the wolf and said, Survival the fittest! <laughs> <laughs> and so then they sing a song, Show me some respect. Which, all the songs in this slap, by the way. No question. Oh my god. Show me some respect. Show her some respect. Not just because I'm pretty. Show her some respect. I don't remember this part of Blues Brothers 2000. There were three teams of songwriters on this. There were Michael and Patty Silvershire, best known for doing, like, the theme songs for Gummy Bears and Tailspin, and known among internet circles for giving us Trevor Noah's childhood birthday song, Happy Happy Birthday to You, best known for Donald Duck's 50th anniversary, nice. and written for Splashdance. Happy birthday, it's Donald's birthday, happy, happy birthday to you. Hey, Little Mermaid's Island, this is how you utilize multiple songwriters for a Muppet property. Yes! <laughs> oh, by the way, um, speaking of the, um, Donald Duck birthday song from the 1984 birthday parade, some of you may recall a video I posted on Twitter of Dick Van Dyke wishing Donald a happy birthday, and then Donald says, thanks, Dick! <laughs> and it makes me, I don't, I don't know if it's funny for anyone else, it just makes me laugh my ass off every time. And that was the last performance of Clarence Nash, too. Wow. One of the last things Clarence Nash said as Donald Duck was, thanks, dick. <laughs> Speaking of Little Mermaid's Island, the Silvershires also did a few songs for Little Mermaid, because they did In Harmony for the TV series, as immortalized on the Friend Like Me sing-along tape, and they also did the song score for the Little Mermaid 2 Return to the Sea. Oh. <laughs> nice. Piggy's crazy sister. <laughs> Piggy's sexist brothers. <laughs> There's two more uh, songwriters, at least three more. There, there's the team of Philip Balsam and Dennis Lee, who are most famous for doing the songs for Fraggle Rock. And then there's Mark Raddis, who did uh, songs for the Jim Henson Hour. He did songs for Sesame Street. And he also did four songs for the Muppets at Walt Disney World. 
to bring that up again. Fuck yes. Is it possible that this guy did that song that Grover sings that um has the Simpsons cameoing in it? I don't think so. He did songs from seasons 37 to 43. So he did songs like Preschool Musical, uh, Neil Patrick Harris' Shoe Fairy song, and uh, Adam Sandler's song about Elmo. Oh, so he was later. Okay. Oh yeah, so this was probably around the time where uh, Will Arnett did his guest appearance on Sesame Street, which... Yes! By the way, look that up. It's just him playing a child-friendly Joe Bluth, and it's beautiful. I love that so much. So, Piggy decides, for some reason, to let her brother stay with her. The wolf comes around the next morning. He tries to blow down the house. It doesn't work. But unlike uh, most Muppet versions, he actually does something else before he goes and does the chimney thing. He shows up as a pizza delivery guy. And by the way, guys, one day, I swear to God, I will try chocolate kisses on pizza. Yeah, that sounds gross. <laughs> Not salty or anything, but uh, she didn't fucking tip. Yeah. Yeah, what the Come fuck, on, Piggy. <laughs> <laughs> Also, I gotta shout out the bit where the wolf says the usual not by the hair on my chinny-chin-chin line, and Miss Piggy takes offense to it. (laughs) Miss Piggy, I know you mean well, but women can have facial hair, damn it. Come on, Piggy, I have PCOS. (laughs) I mean, it was the 90s, I'm sure she's, uh... Uh, I I would hope she knows better by now. Yeah. I mean, Miss Piggy did have facial hair briefly in Great Muppet Caper, so... Exactly. And speaking of Great Muppet Caper, I really wish that when she slammed the door in his face, he would have got his nose caught in the door. (laughs) (laughs) Miss Piggy would have absolutely learned by now because she is an ally. Yeah. She is like a real LGBTQ ally. Also, it's implied that she kills the wolf at the end because when he tries the Santa trick. (laughs) Which they fall for, by the way. And Piggy's like, it's the middle of summer. Wait, wait, I love that joke. Think. Christmas is in December. Uh And this is the middle of summer. He's early! He's early! Also, when one of the pigs asks if Santa's coming back, I really wanted Miss Piggy to say, Oh, of course he will! There's some of him over there, and over there as well! (laughs) Can I make the obligatory, you'll only notice if you watch the previous episodes reference? Please, yes. Ew, it's a dead wolf! (laughs) (laughs) Miss Piggy's exact words. Huzzah! When are she and Al gonna collaborate already? Yes. yes. We move on to the classic fable of King Midas. Also, yuck! I don't want popcorn or ratsmen sitting in. (laughs) He's King Midas with a curse. One thing I like about this King Midas is in the original story, King Midas was the greedy one. But it's really hard to make Kermit come off as greedy, so they add Miss Piggy into the story as his queen, and she's the greedy one. Yeah, I mean, it's not entirely impossible to make Kermit unlikable, spoiler for the next story, but... I I mean, he was gonna kill the satyr just for sitting in flowers, so... (laughs) He's a little bit of a dick in this story. You're all green! Oh yeah, that's another thing too, is that there's a running gag where Gonzo keeps running in and out of the narrator role just because he has all these roles he has to do, and he literally admits in the Rumpelstiltskin bit that he's being typecast. (laughs) Which, yeah, I can see why. Gonzo basically becomes the Eddie Murphy of his own story, (laughs) where he has to play all these roles. Oh great, now we're gonna get Gonzo as Jim Evers. Thanks, Kit. No! 
<laughs> I mean, he is going to be the main character, so... <laughs> so then Piggy ends up wishing for Kermit to get the golden touch. And so then it cuts to them turning most of the town's stuff into gold, which how the gold touch works is confusing as hell, because... You see Kermit clearly touching stuff. Like, wouldn't the chair turn the gold? And that's another thing, too. If he's sleeping with Piggy, and make no mistake, it's hard not to touch someone when you're sleeping in the same bed. How did she not turn the gold? Even if they, like, totally stayed celibate the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they sleep in separate beds like Lucy and Ricky. True, true. I mean, do Muppets stay celibate? Don't answer that, don't answer that. (laughs) Do Muppets have genitalia? I bet I won't regret Googling that at all. (laughs) (laughs) Although then again, how does Robin exist? Because Kermit has a sister, so... Keep in mind, uh, frogs can just change sex whenever they want. Trans frogs, trans frogs. They're turning the frickin' frogs trans! Also, I gotta say, the jump cuts for when they turn the regular props into gold are actually pretty well done, especially considering that they're working with Muppets, and I can't imagine how hard it is to coordinate everything to have it in the same place. And plus, I love how Miss Piggy lampshades if the uh, Golden Touch comes with a ripple effect. Yeah! (laughs) (laughs) And I also fucking love the gags where she's having to try to make Kermit move around. It's just so funny seeing her having to wave the statue. (laughs) You know, it just hit me. Somebody probably has that gold Kermit statue in their living room, and I envy that person greatly. Same. <laughs> and then we get him a bit where, like, you know, Miss Piggy turns to uh, other people in the kingdom for help to get Midas and Tosh, but they are no help and they're just there for doing stupid puns. Yeah, because the first one brings Varnish, the royal doctor, because he says he can't help him, but he can give him a nice shine. <laughs> and then there's the royal jeweler who offers Piggy a price. And then it ends with the royal jester making a joke about Kermit's favorite vegetable, which, say it with me, guys, 24 24 carrots. That joke is fuzzy, too. (laughs) Right? That joke was so horrible that Piggy just straight up picks up Kermit's frozen gold body and smacks the jester with it. (laughs) She probably paralyzed him, and frankly... Good for her. Also, when Gonzo does meet up with her again, uh, when he's like, well, hey, you'll get a world-class paperweight, I was like, ah, great, cue all the Marvel fans complaining like they did when the stones were referred to as paperweights and Loki. Wait, that was a thing? Yeah, some people got all mad, like, oh, so now these stones just aren't important? It's like, yeah, because they're literal gods. (laughs) Yeah, because we already took care of the guy who made them a threat. Yeah. So anyways, the satyr convinces Queen Midas to renounce her goal so that it's the only way that she can bring Kermit back. But then they get back and Kermit decides, you can have another wish, Your Majesty. And he's like, oh boy, can I wish for peace on Earth now? And Piggy's like, no, we're wishing for a slice of matic. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I'd probably wish for an air fryer, so I get what they mean. <laughs> All right. And now it's time for us to get into discourse over a centuries old fairy tale because our next story is... The Boy Who Cried Wolf. Oh, boy. (laughs) Kit, you have the floor. Alrighty. (laughs) So, I fucking hate this story. I have hated it since I was a kid. And this was a slightly better adaptation of it than most, but not by much. This was probably my least favorite story in the movie because, I mean, it is still great. It's still a really well done adaptation. It's still really funny in a lot of parts, but... God damn, this story pisses me off. Because 
They're just treating this poor guy like he's crazy, and especially when there's viable proof of the wolf on top of that. He literally gets a photo of it. And a painting. <laughs> yeah, a photo that somehow loses its background, by the way. Yeah, though I will say, who do you think you're fooling slaps like hell? Who do you think you're fooling? Yeah, right, sure. Brother. I guess this guy is falling. Hey, we've heard it all before. You pulled the wool right over our eyes too many times with all your lies. So who do you think you're fooling? Yeah, right, sure. You know, it takes a lot to make Kermit unlikable. Somehow this fucking did it. Yeah. <laughs> How? How do you accomplish that? At least he's simply playing a character. It's not the real dude. Yeah, that's true. Plus, I just want to point something out. In the original story that Aesop told, the boy who cried wolf cried wolf just for shits and giggles because he was a little hellion. But in this version, Gonzo, who plays the boy who cried wolf, he and his sheep have this bad habit of overreacting, and that's what gets him into trouble. Because the townspeople think he's just overreacting again. Gonzo in this at least means well. Like, yeah, he is confused, but he actually wants to keep the townspeople safe. So it makes it even more enraging that they just keep blowing him off and treating him like shit. Until the very end, when it turns out he was right all along. By the way, um, I was wondering, like, there's the exchange they do the first two times he overreacts, where, you know, they're like, Mr. Mayor, what are we gonna do? A place that isn't safe! You wanna do something, we pay our taxes! Why do I feel that that exact conversation has happened at this country at some point in our lives? Oh, yes. Yeah. Too many times. <sighs> These townsfolk are basically conservative anyway. Although I did think of a good way to handle a boy who cried wolf story. A boy who cried wolf story about voter fraud. Yes. Who do you think you're fooling has never been more timelessly relevant. Ah, uh, yeah. Also, I'm probably getting this wrong, but was Kermit's mare outfit the same one he was wearing in the Muppet Christmas Carol? Kind being a little bit of a lighter color in Muppet's Christmas Carol, plus he had a vest in Muppet's Christmas Carol and no cape. His coat was open, and his coat in uh, Christmas Carol was buttoned, and it was gray instead of wine red. And also, it's the sheep's fault at one point why Gonzo overreacts, because one of them decides to drink the soapy water that he's washing his socks in, and then just spits a little bit on Gonzo, and he's like, tidal wave, tidal wave, tidal wave! Yeah, if we should be making anybody a pariah out of the situation, it should be the fucking sheep. They're the enablers. And plus, they actually try to weasel their way out of the story when it looks like all is lost. Yeah! Yeah, th th these sheep are fucking assholes, man. Also, as much as I hate the sheep, part of me just really wanted this to end with them and the wolf mauling the townsfolk. Yes! So that when Kermit comes to Gonzo, he can break out into a karmic verse of who do you think you're fooling? <laughs> That would make the song even better. And yes, it is a fucking banger, by the way. Before we get into the rest of that, I just want to say, like, one of my favorite lines in this whole story is, like, the opening one. Once upon a time, there was a young shepherd who, in addition to missing his kill, Rizzle! <laughs> that was brilliant. I love the workarounds. <laughs> I do really love the big twist at the end of this one. Go ex machina. Yes! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Cousin Norman, who's a really big sheep, but then he just suffocates the wolf. <laughs> In this house, we stand Cousin Norman. Yes. Fuck yeah. They conquer the wolf. You know, the townspeople are like, yeah, we're sorry. You know, we misjudged you. Here, here's a medal that we'll give you. You were heroic. You cried wolf when there was an actual wolf. It's all water under the bridge now, right? And then he just fucking bitch slaps Kermit with the medal. <laughs> 
<laughs> At least they took the time to engrave the metal in Gonzo's image. True. Thankfully, True. yeah. Before we get into a bit I'm sure we're all gonna love talking about, if you're watching this in United Kingdom, you're probably aware that this is where the first half of the video ends, because Gonzo and Rizzo do sign off while the townsfolk are dancing, and then they bring down the curtain, they roll the credits, and then they do another opening sequence, and go straight into Rumpelstiltskin. But here in America, we get a little intermission. I fucking love the transition bit, too, where Gonzo starts overreacting again. Don't worry, Rizzo. I will never overreact again. I learned my lesson. Good. Now, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're gonna take a brief intermission. Wait, intermission? You never said we were gonna have an intermission! What are we gonna do? <laughs> Gonzo, will you stop that? <laughs> I just fucking love when Rizzo yells. It's so funny. By the way, it's physically impossible for a human being to go to the bathroom in just 30 seconds. Right? That was a lazy-ass intermission. Let me tell you something. When Star Wars The Last Jedi came out, and I went to see it with my mom, I made the mistake of uh, having a pomegranate margarita at the um, lobby bar before seeing this movie I was so hyped to see. Ooh. Oh, no. And it was when Ray first sees Luke. And I remember now the scene I missed was the one where he drinks the, like, creature milk. So maybe uh, that was for the better. But um, <laughs> I ended up having to pee. I held it as long as I could. And then I was like, I can't. And I'm going to tell you right now. It is absolutely possible to go to the bathroom in 30 seconds. With hand washing included, I'm not gross. <laughs> Good. So then it cuts back to after the intermission, Gonzo's still freaking out and Rizzo slaps him or something and is like, okay, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit they're in a reprise of the Rumpelstiltskin story. Speaking of which, Rumpelstiltskin, and I love the opening between Kermit and the advisor. Um, um can you get rid of this echo? It's depressing. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of pig misogyny hey the fucking dad comes back miss piggy's dad ain't shit yeah the fucking dad comes back and he's also physically abusive it's his fucking fault that she ends up in this situation to begin with so why the fuck didn't he go to the dungeon well then again this is kind of in line with the original story because the miller in that story was just as much of a dick as the pig miller is here true oh uh, and by the way i'm um, kind of just mentioned like you know so King Kermit here, you know, he's like, I'm feeling lonely. I should get married, but I don't want to marry anyone. I want to marry someone who is special. So, so you have, like, all these people coming up with outlandish claims. And by the way, um, is the girl who can gargle Beethoven's fist supposed to be a reference to that episode of The Muppet Show where they had the Scotsman who could gargle summertime? Probably, <laughs> yeah, I could see that. <laughs> This was desperately missing a Mark Hamill cameo. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> also, Kermit and Piggy's meet cute is so adorable. Huh. I love this. Yes. And plus, this is where the callback comes into because, you know, Miller goes overboard with the introduction. So the advisor slaps him and he's like, thanks, I needed that. <laughs> <laughs> Also, on my second time re-watching this, I noticed that there was a little bit of a bit with the king's advisor being all, so I'm going to get that castle, right? And then we never see him get the castle, but maybe that was just an in-joke. Rizzo does mention that he gets the castle. Oh, okay. It's before the scene where Gonzo comes for Piggy's child. You know, I, I gotta be honest here. I really wanted to kick that royal advisor's ass. Yeah, yeah. he's a dick. <laughs> 
And so then Gonzo shows up as Rumpelstiltskin, which, side note, one thing I forgot to also mention about this special, the costume design is incredible. It really is, yeah. Again, this is just a testament to how surprisingly well the Muppets did after Jim Henson's death, because they easily could have made this a quick cash grab and half-assed everything about this, but they didn't. It's like their costume designs for Muppet Christmas Carol and Muppet Treasure Island. They just capture the time capsule so well. Absolutely. And I also really love the design for Gonzo's Rumpelstiltskin. It looks like how a Gonzo Rumpelstiltskin would look. Yes. Yeah, the crazy hair, the ragged clothing, it's just perfect. Also, this entire story was better than all of Shrek 4. Change my mind. (laughs) I have no arguments. You're absolutely correct. (laughs) <laughs> By the way, why does Rumpelstiltskin want the child anyway? I guess somehow he's never gonna be able to get laid, so I guess he can't have a baby that way, so... Oh yeah, that's another thing too. We never get to see what the baby looks like, which <laughs> is probably for the best, considering Muppets Most Wanted. I don't think Kermy Jr. is doing so well. Kill me! I'm in constant <laughs> pain! <laughs> By the way, I've always wondered, like, since we don't know what Rumpelstiltskin's motives are, I mean, it could be so easy to make him a sympathetic character because I was thinking you could do a Rumpelstiltskin adaptation where he's portrayed sympathetically and the villains are the king and the miller. Yeah, that's true. Because the version I have like in my mind is that the king has a son and it's the son who marries the girl who supposedly can spin strong to gold. So that way we can have the king be the villain without having to worry about his relationship with her. I guess we'll have to see if we have any Once Upon a Time fans in our fan base. <laughs> so then they go through the trials of how Piggy and Rumpelstiltskin set up the deals. And then it cuts to the whole, you gotta guess my name to keep your child story. And then also there's a really cute moment where Kermit's like, wait a minute, I didn't marry Piggy because she could spin straw into gold. I married her because... I love her! And I was like, aww. Yeah, plus, fuck the advisor and the Miller because when, when Kermit says, I didn't marry you because it's too much gold, Piggy, Miller, and the advisor, they all go, You didn't? No, I married her because I love her. And Miller and the advisor go, You do? <laughs> And let's not forget the dickhead advisor has the gall to want to throw Peggy into the dungeon. Right? When it's the fucking dad's fault again. Yeah, and plus, she's the queen. You really want to throw the queen into the dungeon? D-O-Teen. That is all. That should have been their first move after this situation is just... Guillotine the bastard. My fan on is that after the events of the story, when the curtain comes down, that's what Piggy and Kermit do to the uh, Miller and the advisor. They just throw him into the guillotine. Good! (laughs) Now, if you're ready, we come to probably one of the best songs in the whole movie. Yes. Yes. My favorite thing about that song, it's it's the weasel puppet, the way they just have him like shaking all around and everything. Like (laughs) (laughs) You know what? That is the best character in this video. Change my mind. If I ever have a pet, I am naming that pet Zon. Yes! It's just too good a name not to use. I mean, those guys are dicks for suggesting that Zon is a bad name. That's the one thing the Miller got right. He came up with that awesome name. Also, I fucking love that this entire town is just singing this song, and then I kept expecting, like, Rumpelstiltskin to keep showing up, and then everybody's just too busy singing to notice him and be like, well, okay, bye! Well, he does dance along at certain points. Yeah! (laughs) Listen, when we say gotta get that name will never leave your head, 
we fucking mean it. Oh, yes. Not even Small World will budge in your head as much as gotta get that name. Also, I fucking loved how they discover his name because they were like, wait a minute, you say that you went to summer camp? Yep, good at crafts, loudy at sports. Which, by the way, <laughs> used to be my Tinder bio. <laughs> that, Mr. Ralph Lauren? <laughs> It's so much better than how they resolve it in the original story because in the original story, the queen just sends out her pages to ride through the land to see if they can find anything. And one, and the night before, the third day, one page comes back and he's like, hey, I was just wandering through this forest and I heard this weird little man sing a song about how his name is Rumpelstiltskin or something. So maybe that'll help you out. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that's the cheating version. You gotta get clever. <laughs> yeah. And plus, I love how in character Gonzo gets at the end of the story. He is so angry about being found out, he tries to bring down the curtain himself. <laughs> And you know what that leads to? Fucking yeeting! Woo! <laughs> and you know what? After Little Mermaid's Island, it just felt so good to see that. That was some good Muppet anarchy at its finest. Imagine trading all your life to be a Jim Henson company level puppeteer. And then it turns out the funniest thing you can do is just throw the damn thing. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> All right, so then it cuts to our next story, which Rizzo's finally in, which also, Matt, do you want to cue the line? Uh, uh, look, Gonzo, uh, I'm in this story. Uh, could you tell it for them? Uh, no thanks, I'm not hungry. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliantly stupid, and I love it. So Fozzie's finally in a story. So this is the Emperor's New Clothes, which... By the way, I did not realize it was a completely different story from the Emperor's New Groove for years because I was so confused why there was no llama turning in the original. You know what the Emperor's New Groove was missing? It was missing a scene where Cusco was just bouncing on one foot with shoes on his ears going pop, 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 pop. <laughs> I also fucking love Rizzo's scams. Like, do I know you, sir? Yeah, you're dating my sister. I mean, no, I do not. <laughs> now, sir, I understand that you are lame. Well, yes, yeah, because you stepped on my butt. <laughs> All right, by the way, I gotta make the obligatory musical theater reference. Yes. It was Rizzo's curative elixir. That's what did the trick, sir. True, sir, true. Yes. <laughs> the scam itself for the elixir is just perfect. Like, you know, it's just a rat on a guy's head, and he's like, See? I have this thick, wavy brown hair, and all I have to do is feed it cheese once a day. <laughs> <laughs> Just trick Jeff Bezos into buying that. He'll be happy. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Rizzo deserved to go to space more than Jeff Bezos did. Huzzah! So then they end up getting caught by the dog puppet. Uh, sorry, I forgot. What, what was his name? Uh, I think he's just the bailiff. The bailiff, okay. Bailiff, whack his pee-pee! <laughs> and so then he's like for being a phony a fraud and a quack geez did you swallow a dictionary or something <laughs> i'm taking you to emperor fuzzy he knows how to deal with scallions ruffians and ne'er-do-wells <laughs> maybe it's just because we're jaded from the past six years but man the whole point premise of fuzzy's court just going along with him just because they want to remain upper class or something like you know they don't want to be seen as foolish Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh boy. Gee, there certainly aren't any real-life applications this situation can be brought up in. And if you excuse me, I'm gonna go throw up. I'm, I'm just gonna scream for right now, if you don't mind. He's a fascist. Ah! Ah, Waka! Fucking Waka! Ah! Hey, everybody! We need to go storm Robin's house, for he said I'm not wearing any clothes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Robin's in this. Yeah. 
the people at Robin's house were not there to riot or insurrect. They were just peacefully protesting. Waka waka! This whole segment had such a Life of Brian style to it that I was expecting at one point Fozzie to be like, You're all individuals! Yes, we're all individuals! I'm not. Rizzo and his team, they show up, they scam Fozzie into giving them all their gold in exchange for new clothes, and, and they say it's invisible because only fools can't see it. And uh, there's even a great bit where it's like, Why is the hanger so small? Uh, it gets, uh, bigger when you put it on. You idiot, I told you to get a bigger hanger. <laughs> <laughs> and then that leads to that glorious moment when Robin points out that the Emperor is not wearing any clothes, and Fozzie gives out that immortal line, Wait, if I'm not wearing clothes, that means I must be naked! Naked! Cover me! Cover the king! Well, he's not naked. He's in his underwear. Show Fozzie's dick. <laughs> But that begs the question, does Fozzie even have a dick? <laughs> so then Fozzie's like, no, no, please don't take off your clothes. Just start doing things on your own, okay? And then Rizzo, Montague, and Yolanda all go to jail. Just 10 years, it'll go by like that. Hey, uh, Montague, how long's it been? 12 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Also, I'm always happy for more Yolanda because she's one of my favorite underrated Muppets. Although part of me kind of does wish they kind of would have had the balls to have everybody go naked at the end just for the hell of it. <laughs> everybody just sings, always look on the bright side of life. <laughs> He's not the Messiah. He's a naughty, naughty rat. <laughs> And we go into our final story, which also has Robin. Thank the Lord, yes. Yes. The Elves and the Shoemaker. Hey, a story about Elvis? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was fucking hilarious. Once upon a time in Memphis. No, Rizzo, it's not Elvis. Elves. You know, elves are tiny people with magical powers. Elvis with magical powers? Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I also fucking love the concept of the Elvises. Um, they were the trio of elves that were basically just Elvis impersonators. It's such a simple idea and I love it. So the story begins with Kermit and Robin, the shoemaker and his nephew. They sell really crappy shoes and they're way behind their rent. And they're being harangued by the banker who is a dog. The same one who played the banker and the bailiff. I always knew capitalists were dirty dogs, but I never thought they'd outright say it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Jim Henson was a socialist, so... <laughs> so Kermit and Robin are like, they're wondering, what are we going to do? We're going to be foreclosed. But then Robin's like, come on, don't worry, Uncle Kermit. We can just wish for a miracle. Miracles? Uh, I don't think that'll really work. But Uncle Kermit, this is a fairy tale. Oh, Robin. <laughs> He's so precious. I also fucking love how Rizzo ends up in the crowd of the people buying all the shoes and he ends up getting trampled. That was hilarious. <laughs> oh, and can we talk about the uh, Elvis's song? Yes. yes. That oh, my God. The best song in the whole damn movie, in my opinion. Bad Shoe Blues. So we got a kind of level that'll play a little rhythm in his so listen to the news, there's no more bad shoe blues, any old rhythm you choose, got your blue suede through bad, bad, bad right. I absolutely thought it was hilarious replacing elves with Elvis. Yes. <laughs> because I am so easy to pander to when it comes to comedy. You see, if you just replace one letter, it's just instant comedy, you know? Go ahead, jingle your keys in front of my face. 
I will laugh my ass off. By the way, fun fact, if you notice that Rizzo's voice seemed really off when he went up to talk to Kermit and Robin, he was performed by Dave Goles in that scene for some reason. I guess it was because Steve Whitmire was already playing Kermit in that scene, so... I guess they were playing like, you know, we could just pre-record it later, but then they heard Dave Gales try his doing that terrible Rizzo voice, and like, fuck it, let's leave it in, this is funnier. <laughs> <laughs> And plus, I love the bit in the aftermath of the second successful day after the elves make them their shoes. And it's like, with the help of these elves, we're finally able to make shoes that are ugly. And then he and Robin both do the yay together. Yes! That was precious. It's the cutest motherfucking shit I've ever seen in my goddamn life. (laughs) I want to squeeze it! I probably would have ended on either Rumpelstiltskin or the Emperor's New Clothes, but this was still a really good note to go out on. It really was. It wasn't really going out with a bang, but more so just going out lightly. And plus, the ending is just perfect. In the aftermath of, like, the sex world, Kermit and Robin are like, well, we should do something to thank these elves for all their help with us and then and then Rizzo comes in and you know and he gives him the idea to give them white sequin jumpsuits yes <laughs> and then the officers get a job in Vegas yes as <laughs> they should um I just realized by the way there are regularly conventions that are just Elvis impersonator conventions <laughs> So, we could legitimately do a live-action remake of this. Oh, gosh. Just because we can doesn't mean we should. But it would be so funny. I just want to make a video of me handing out flyers to various Elvis impersonators as I go through Vegas. Like, here you go, Muppet Remake. Here you go, Muppet Remake. Give me a call. (laughs) So, like last time, do we want to do another quick ranking of the stories? Our own personal rankings, or...? For stories, I think the stories are number one is The Elves and the Shoemaker. That's easily the best. Second best, Rumpelstiltskin. Third best, Three Little Pigs. Fourth best, Emperor's New Clothes. Fifth best, King Midas. And all the way in dead last, Boy Who Cried Wolf. And for the songs, the absolute best, hands down, is Bad Shoe Blues. Yes. Yes. Then uh, second best is Gotta Get That Name. Third best is Show Me Some Respect. Fourth best, Who Do You Think You're Fooling. Fifth best, Nothing's Too Good For You. And dead last, the Midas touch. Yeah, uh, as far as the songs go, I pretty much agree with Matt. Yeah, same here. Although I would place "Gotta Get That Name" and well, well, first of all, "Gotta Get That Name" will be at the top of the list for me. And then, who do you think you're fooling in second place? And then the rest. So, but in terms of stories, I would have to say my favorite was Rumpelstiltskin, and my least favorite was obviously the Boy Who Cried Wolf. Yes. My favorite was definitely a tie between Rumpelstiltskin and the Emperor's New Clothes, and least favorite was probably Boy Who Cried Wolf, obviously, but the fact that even the least of the rankings is still really damn good honestly shows all you need to know about this special. By the way, for I guess for songs, I guess my favorite would probably be Nothing's Too Good For You, and last would be King Midas. It's just such a terrific little movie. Like, it may not be super deep, but that's honestly what makes it work so well. It's just pure good Muppet anarchy. Exactly. And you know what? We don't even have to say it. We're keeping the tapes. Hardcore key. Yes. Yes. How about this? Instead of donate it to the uh, thrift store, we're donating this tape to the fucking Smithsonian. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, not only is this getting a hard, hard, hard keep from me, 
This is my favorite thing we've ever covered on the podcast so far because we've covered a lot of great stuff from Clown TV to Bear in the Big Blue House to Big Comfy Couch. But this is just such a special category all its own and maybe it's just my hardcore Muppets hyperfixation talking at the moment, but God damn, I'm so glad it exists, and I really hope it comes to Disney Plus someday. It kind of sucks that this was made in the era where they kind of had to retire a lot of Muppets after Jim Henson and Richard Hunt passed away, because it would have been really fun for them to play around. Like, I would have loved to see a story with Rolf or the Electric Mayhem or Scooter. The Electric Mayhem should have been the pit band. Right? They should have, yeah. My only complaint is that there was not enough Fozzie. Yeah, I love it. More naked fuzzy. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, thank you so much for joining us, Matt. Yes, this was great. I believe you're the first returning guest to Channel KRT. Aside from the pre-recorded theme month, is there anything you want to plug? Uh, Again, I've said this before, but I don't really use Twitter all that much. I just retweet stuff, and I just mainly use it to interact with people like these. Aww. Thank you. But if you want to hear more of my voice, Channel KRT was the very first podcast I was on. Uh, Kit mentioned this. I was on the episode where we talked about Bear in the Big Blue House. And I made uh, two appearances on Podcast Without Cool Acronym talking about Muppet Babies and uh, Soul. And I made three appearances on the Emperor's New Podcast. And if you want to see my face, I have a bit part in uh, Chandler DeRoche's video about Star Trek The Experience. If you want to know who I am, I'm the one doing uh, the Soren safety spiel. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> you can find me over on Mission Breakout on Twitter and Discord. Muppet Vision 3D is my Muppet Twitter. Uh, Walking Pun on Instagram. You can find me on various episodes of Escape from Vault Disney, E-Ticket Gazette, Podcast Without a Cool Acronym, and The Emperor's New Podcast. And you can also find me desperately trying to get that name. You can find me over at Cosmic Rewind on Twitter. You can find me on a few select episodes of uh, Escape from Vault Disney and The Emperor's New Groove. And you can find me taking multiple DNA tests to find out which Muppet fucked one of my relatives. To make me half man, half Muppet. (laughs) Spoiler alert, it was Sattler and Waldorf. (laughs) Sattler and Waldorf? Fuck? (laughs) Yeah, it was a a threesome. Don't think about it too much. (laughs) Which one is my dad? No! Yes! Alright, you can find me on the usual spots, TylerFG on Twitter, TylerFG96 on Instagram. You can find the podcast on channel underscore KRT on Twitter, channel KRT podcast all one word. We also have our Facebook group and our Discord server, which you can find on our link tree in our Twitter bio. And if you want to help support us, you can also check out our Patreon, where we have episodes of this podcast one day early as well as exclusive outtakes and minisodes. And of course, thank you so much to Gomer and Chris Reyna for pledging to us at the $10 level. And before we cut to static, there is a very important announcement I want to make. Oh, boy. So with the first anniversary of Channel KRT coming up, we decided that there is a very specific franchise that we want to talk about that has been sitting on the KRT shelf since the moment of its inception. Oh, yes. I, of course, am talking about We Sing. fucking We Sing saga. At long last, I am happy to announce 
Channel KRT's We Scream, where we are going to be talking about all of the We Sing videos for 10 straight days, you know, except for the uh, two clip shows they put out in 96. They don't really count, but still, starting September 1st, we are going to talk about every We Sing video, starting with We Sing Together and ending with We Singdom. I am so excited that we can finally talk about this, but guys, you aren't ready for this. Oh my god. Not a bit. The only downside is that we're going to be taking the rest of August off so that we can finally get the rest of these recorded and edited. So we are very sorry for any inconvenience there, but we promise you this is going to be very much worth the wait. Fuck yes. But regardless, it's going to be so worth it. Oh my god. Fuck yes. Alright, Channel KRT, cut to static. Ladies and gentlemen, the elves have left the building. Woo! Ba-da-ba-ba-da-ba.